as, as we get into talking about the, the long, uh, awaiting, uh, long-awaited silence that the Israelites experienced. Um, speaking of silence, uh, are any of you guys excited about getting to see some snow this winter? Uh, good. Some of you said no. Some of you said yes. It's the War of the Roses. I know some of you are like, no. Some of you are like, yes, sledding, building a, a castle. I'm ready. We're excited about snow. Um, being born in, in, in Nebraska uh, and then you know, moved down to New Orleans uh, for a while, but I, I, I would go up to Nebraska for summer and winters. And, and uh, I remember the just, the, I have a lot of fond memories of, of walking around the farm with my father, with my grandfather. Um, you know, and just kind of checking checking things out during the winter. But I remember the majesty of it all and the beauty that the crunch of the snow under our feet, but the overwhelming muffled silence of it all. And it's just, ah, it, it is amazing. It's a unique sensation, and um, I still remember that, just trudging through that snow with my grandfather and that silence and the, the beauty of it all and the overwhelming muffled silence. And, you know, the Israelites... They experienced a long period of silence uh, between the New Testament, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And so, you know, creation, the Bible starts with God creating. We had this amazing story of, you know, in the beginning, God creating. He, he was the purpose, He was the point, He's the, the person to be magnified in that moment. And then the fall came, the separation between man and God, the shalom is broken. Uh, to, to use that beautiful Hebrew word for peace, the relationship um, is broken with with ourselves, with God, and we don't know when or where we are uh, in relation to the severed relationship we now have. This, our true author, our divine creator and image bearer, and us are are, are separated. And you know that word for peace or shalom. When we say shalom in the Bible. Um, I think I knew the word shalom, and but I, I looked a li- up a little, looked it up, and it says there's a there's a Hebrew word for peace in the Bible, and it means shalom means not an absence of war. I mean that is peaceful, but shalom is about a completeness. The word shalom is more indicative of a wholeness and a perfection of balance. And so the word shalom, that shalom with us and God was broken. But guess what? A promise was given. A long-awaited, expectant Savior was given. God's promise, he's a creative God. He's a very creative God, but he's also a God of judgment. He's a God. He's a holy God. And so most, um, he made promises. He began, pro- he began giving us prophets to show us the good intent and purpose, uh, the designed restoration that he had in plan of salvation. And then... After all of the prophets in the Old Testament, there was just silence, an intermission, if you will, in mankind of just nothing. Genesis to Malachi, God is it's practically yells. He, he pleads, he beckons, he, and then silence. Um, do you guys know how many years? How many years is silence? 400. 400. Approximately 400 years of silence. That's a long time. Um, I'm going to speak to that here in a little bit, but silence is not something I'm comfortable with. Um, maybe it's just my profession, but like <laughs> um, silence, I reject it at all costs. Uh, maybe you do too. Maybe you attempt to, to distance yourself from it. 
if I did used to enjoy silence, I don't now that I have kids. Because if my six-year-old and three-year-old are quiet, something's going down. So, so, so uh, however, when we can't get a babysitter and go somewhere and be away from them, I love them. But I also love being alone just with my wife. But silence is normally something. We even go to our phones. The moment we're free of, of, of distraction, we invent one by pulling it out of our pockets. I'm guilty. I can't say that you know, this is not an accusation without pointing it this way. But silence, when we're left with silence, here's what I think silence does. It makes us realize we're not alone. It's kind of counterintuitive, but silence confronts us with the idea that we're not alone. Uh, silence can frighten us with the thoughts that come into our hearts and minds as we begin to wonder and think maybe somebody else knows. Um, it makes it, We become aware of the eternity in our hearts, to put it a little more uh, poignantly. Um, our hearts begin to ask questions like, why am I? Who am I? And um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 speaks to that. It says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in human hearts. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we're left with our thoughts in, in silence. We're left with our thoughts and the knowledge that perhaps we have to answer to someone on what is in our head, what's inside of our hearts, and what we've done with our hands. And so this, the uh, silence, silence is an interesting tool that, that God uses very effectively, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we, we in our sin nature sometimes want a different revelation than what we've already heard. And so the concept of silence, you know, why do we equate silence with non-movement? Perhaps the reason that God is not speaking is because he's already spoken. It's the ultimate mic drop. He's already, it's finished. So, um, you know, have you ever had this moment with a friend that is um, someone you're trying to evangelize, someone you're trying to share the gospel to, and you don't say this to them, but you kind of have this internal self-speak of, I really don't know what to do anymore with you. Like, I, 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 I've, I'm not giving up. I just, I've said it. I don't know what else to do. I've, um, friend, I've said what I believe. I've shared my testimony. I've shared the gospel. I don't know how else I can say this. Um, and, you know, so it, it happens. And you know, why should we respond? So, so how should we respond to God's, to perceived silence from God? How should we respond to that? Um, well, here's the thing. You know, don't ask, why aren't you speaking? Ask yourself, do I believe what you've already revealed? And so the prophet Amos speaks of the foretells of the silence. 400 years of it, actually. Um, he doesn't stay, state how long, but he says, there's a day coming. There is indeed a day coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine for hearing the word of God. Psalms, 40, uh, Psalms 74, 9 also says, we're given no signs from God. No prophets are left. None of us knows how long it will be. You know, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will we, will, we, will, we, will, will we be in silence? And this is the story. The story goes, God created, 
the shalom was broken. God promises. And then 400 years of silence. And I forgot to test this before. So, um, can we advance to the next slide? All right. And one more. And is it? There's a video. So, literally, silence. There's, literally, there's silence for 400 years. And they wait expectantly for their Lord and Savior. Can you mouse over to it and click play? It always works when you, you, know, when you do it before service. But... Silence. Yeah. It's a, it's a uh, proving my point. It's such a good video that I, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bully enough to not skip it. Jim's on it. Stay tuned, Facebook. <laughs> By the way, I'm teaching middle school Bible school, middle school first period Bible at Emmanuel Christian School. I've done that. No, the word silence is going to like show up on the screen. It's silence. <laughs> This is awkward. There it is. No, it's not. It's the... <laughs> but yeah, I'm teaching Bible, and I have been for the last couple of months uh, since the start of the school year, and it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride with middle schoolers teaching Bible, and I'm really enjoying having, having a lot of fun with it. And just as a fun little gimmick, uh, Monday is Mystery Bowtie Monday. So every Monday, I have a new bow tie, and then I wear that bow tie the entire week. And uh, so every Monday, I'm swarmed with my students trying to check out what bow tie I'll have on that, that particular day. And it's just my fun little gimmick to have with my class. And so we've been working our way through the Bible, doing a, actually a what's in the Bible curriculum. And we're almost finished. We've got three more weeks. And then, and then they will have studied the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, and so it's, it's been a, like, ski-doo, just over-the-surface run at it. But it's, it's really good. To, um, I want all of the I want all of my middle schoolers to enter high school with a, at least a cursory knowledge of the Bible, so that they can. Um, I, I was a youth group many years ago, and you know, oh, just like the stu- just like Moses, and one of my students in the back was like, "Who's Moses?" And I was just like, "Oh no, gotta start over." But, but it was a new church, and these were unchurched kids. So, but it was that moment. I was like, you know what? I have to. T- I have to. Re- I have to not take for granted that like I was blessed being raised in a Christian home by Christian parents, and and um, you know they don't know. They don't know. And so, if, how will they know if someone doesn't tell them? And so, that was a convicting moment for me as a pastor to just realize, you know, let's not let's not take for granted based upon someone's age that they ought to know something. And so, um, it kind of readjusted and recalibrated how I did evangelism or how I approach ministry when I was like, you know what, I should, I should expect there to be 
sort of, there's expectations, but speaking of expectations, um, but yeah, yeah, just kind of being all things to all people and trying to meet them where they're at. It's just not going to work. Well, all right. It was. Should we just... What? Keep going. I ran out of stuff. (laughs) That was it. We're going to start going on to bad dad jokes via my cell phone. That's what I do at youth group when I run out of things to say. All right, all right. Well, I think, should I just, Jim, should I just move on? Yeah, all right, all right. Um, it was, <laughs> it's, it was a silent film. It was, <laughs> it was a, it was a silent film, and um, it, it was basically kind of just, reiterating what I had already spoken about, but it had a, a, a series of scriptures and it, some and questions. Hey! All right. Enjoy. Why is silence so foreign to us? Thank you, thank you, gentlemen, for getting that to work, because that really spoke to me. Occasionally uh, with my youth group, and um, it, it's just, it's profound, and it's important to see that. And so silence, silence. The Israelites, they endured 400 years of silence. Imagine the worry. Imagine the doubt. Imagine the, dare I say, even rebellion that may have entered their hearts. And, you know, for a frame of reference, um, 400 years, you know, do you guys think about, you know, 334 years ago, give, you know, Isaac Newton formulated his first three laws of motion. Um, in, in 245 years ago, we became a nation, uh, you know, on... July 4th, 1776. Um, Charles Goodyear invented rubber, you know, 182 years ago. Um, Maxwell, James Maxwell, discovered radio waves roughly 160, 161 years ago. Um, Carl's Benz placed his first patent 135 years ago for the vehicle powered by gas. Patent number 37435. 92 years ago, um, Thomas, a man named Thomas invented coolant for refrigerators. 64 years ago, the Soviet Union launched Sputnik 
and in the 90s and the 80s, we invented the, the Internet, came to fruition. It went wireless in the 90s, and the Apple phone has only been around since 2007. That's, that's, we are babes. We are, we are, compared to the amount of time the Israelites had to endure, that 400 years compared to our, what was that? We're, we're, we've only been a nation, 200, 245? I mean, we are, we are barely Bon Jovian it over here. Wait, what? You'll get that in a second. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. Sorry, I had to bring it back up. All right, so you can bring the lights up too if you'd like. Um, but we are, we're, ha- we're only half. We've only been a nation half the time that the, the Israelites waited. So, I mean, can you imagine that? 400 years of waiting, waiting. Our ancestors have seen the, the glory of the coming of the Lord. Our, our, our previous forefathers, the spiritual mothers and fathers, knew and received. They, had, they knew and had received Jesus Christ's you know, uh, arrival by accepting the Holy Spirit. The Israelites, 400 years of grandfathers after grandfathers around their fires sharing scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Hanukkah's long, long ago. Um, so... They, the, the, however, you know, it's, so sharing these memories, this, this, this oral history of the Jewish faith and their long expected Savior being shared for generations. And, and think of all the, the amazing stories shared around those fires and, and those, those, those kitchen tables. Um, you know, you had, uh, gosh, I can still remember some of the, with fond memories, I can still remember my grandfather telling me, now his were tall tales. He just would sit around and tell stories. And I remember loving them and being enthralled as a young boy and really leaning into his stories. However, I always knew that I could look over at Grandma, (laughs) Grandma Lois, and whenever whenever he got into one of his tall tales um, and was getting to the punchline or the dramatic twist in the story, I could she would either stop him or jump in and be like, oh, now Walt, that is not how it went. Or don't, you know, oh, some version of, oh, now Walt, don't go telling those young boys that, or I had a younger brother, uh, or, you know, don't listen to him, that's not going to happen to you. Or, uh, no, it didn't happen that way. And so it's just really funny um, to, to think that for generations upon generations, there have been grandfathers sitting around uh, telling their young sons and daughters, uh, grandchildren, uh, stories of the glories. Uh, and, and some of them being a little scary. And, and so, you know, we've got stories about the prophets of Baal. We've got Moses and a cloud of, uh, a pillar of cloud guiding the Israelites on their way by night and a pillar of, uh, on their way and by night, a pillar of fire giving them light. We have, uh, you know, them telling their grandkids stories about Moses smiting a rock and water coming out of it and, um, gosh, what else was there? Jordan. They crossed the, the Joshua and the priests stepping into the Jordan and the waters being held back. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden with the scary snake story. Uh, Samson. Samson and, and David and his mighty men. Uh, we've got stories of raining sulfur from the sky in Sodom and Gomorrah. We've got um, 
the, the witches of Endor summoning Samuel, and I can only imagine, you know, the some some long, long ago, you know, Lois going, oh, now, Omar, don't you do that to Uriah. Tell it to witches of Endor. So, uh, fiery, you know, telling them stories of rats and tumors and and and. First Samuel, Numbers 21, fiery serpents entering into the camps. The Bible has some incredibly wild stories in it. But all throughout of it, all throughout we see this, this story of redemption, that all of those wild stories were to show and prove who God was, who we were in relation to him, and the relationship and the relationship that he wished to restore and maintain throughout all of it. So the... Um, so those, uh, they, they passed down those stories of the glories, the moments of failure for the Israelites and how God rescued them each time. And so um, silent, the silence we feel doesn't mean that God isn't there. And um, so why, you know, why, do we, why did he wait? Why did God wait as long as he did, 400 years? Well, here's where I'm going to get a little bit kind of like historical nerdy and kind of push the glasses up a little bit. There are five things seemingly unrelated to each other that I think are important to understand. With what God's got a plan, and sometimes it doesn't seem like, how would we ever put that together? Well, you know, the Greek language, after Alexander the Great kind of conquered most of the world, he, he made Greek the, the standard, he, the, the trade language. So right there we have this common tongue. The Hebrew, Septuag- or the Hebrew scriptures became translated uh, into the Old Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament were translated into Greek. We call that the Septuagint. And the Jewish synagogue system had kind of fallen away. There's no more temple. They're in a post-exilic community state. And then they're being occupied by the Romans, which produced something called the Pax Romana, which is peace in Rome. There's no war. If you're a Roman citizen, you actually have rights. And they were incredibly good at building roads. And so what took place in silence, what took place in that 400 years, were a series of seemingly unrelated events that formed the perfect acceleration, accelerator at the proper time for sharing the good news, the gospel. And so um, the perfect culture was set up for a loud proclamation to go out. And so let's bring the conversation into our lives. Don't, when you perceive silence, don't avoid it. Lean into it learn from it. Um, remember God is at the center of it, and we should really rally and point our hearts and minds towards that. Um, try to try to remember asking the question, where is God? Is, is, it's better to say, where am I? Don't, don't ask God, where are you? Ask God, where am I? Because um, I trust you, he's not gone anywhere. <laughs> he's not the one, he's not moved. We need others. We need other people so that we can work, so that we can see the work of God in their lives, so that we can see it in us too. We need that like community, that fellowship of the assembly, so that you know it's just not it's not good for us to be alone. We're just not made that way. Genesis chapter two eighteen. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a suitable helper. We are all each other's suitable helpers in a certain in a certain way. We can each in our own unique ways because of the way that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, help and equip each other to do the work of the saints, which is us. And so doubts and struggles are perhaps the way God is using 
your situation to draw you closer to him. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob had to be weak. He had to be weakened. He had to be broken before he could become strong. Before he could become known as Israel. He who wrestles with God. He, 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 had, to, he had to go through that doubt, that period. So don't hide from doubts. Press into them. Alright. So, if you missed... You, you missed a really good message and a great show if you uh, didn't go to the children's choir performance. I hope we recorded that somewhere. It's, it's worth going back and looking at. Um, so, you know, it was glory to God in the lowest. Uh, so, you know, let's remember during this season, you know, remember to give God glory to God in the highest even when we feel at our lowest. Even when we feel at our lowest, we should give God the highest glory. The greatest news that has ever been heard wasn't delivered to the high and mighty. It was delivered to the simple, to the lowly, to the shepherds. And so centuries ago, a promised king, the Messiah from the line of David, was born in Bethlehem, and he grew up to be the Lamb of God. He grew up, grew up to be both the Lamb of God and the Good Shepherd that we know and love today. And so glory to God in the highest. Glory, uh, glory to God in the highest became glory to God in the lowest too. As the very Son of God came to the world as a tiny babe, lowly in a manger. And he grew in wisdom and stature and fulfilled the prophecies. One which I just want to highlight is Isaiah 53, 4-6. Yet he bore our sin, sinfulness. He carried our pains but in turn regarded himself him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. The Lord has punished him for the iniquities of us all. After a long, after a long expectant wait, the Lord finally came. Emmanuel, God with us, finally arrived. And so I want to close our time with a hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Um, I want us to sing this together. It, uh, it'll be the next slide, or not the next one, but the next one after that. Um, it'll be up on the screen, uh, and I want, as it plays, I want us to close our eyes, if you know the words, and imagine what it would have been like to be on the expectant side of the song, to be on the side of the, yeah, that's, that'll, be the, that'll be it when we're ready. Um, imagine what it would have been like to be on the expectant side of the song. Take a moment and worship and imagine countless generations of Jews who sung a similar hymn of expectation. And then step back into, the, into this moment and really appreciate the worship that we're having here together as a united family and unison of voice as we adore what we know, which we are fully aware of as having come to this earth as Emmanuel, our Lord and Savior. The Jews expectantly sang, excitedly anticipating, rejoicefully entertaining into a time of hope, we enter into a time of remembrance. And so, as we sing this song together, I want to just wish every single one of you a Merry Christmas. Let's stand together, sing this song, and then I'll close this in prayer. 
before I let uh, the worship team comes up and closes us in a final song. <laughs>